Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, you have come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and as always plenty of entertainment. How is it the first week of March already? Is it just me or does anyone else feel like the last two weeks have flown by? Thankfully it's been busy over the past few weeks. I was back in the National Indoor Arena for the first time this year last weekend hosting the Gymnastics Ireland Gym Start competition which was so much fun. On Monday of this week, I was invited to be the guest speaker for the Defence Forces Women's Network event in celebration of International Women's Day. Huge thanks to Alicia Stiles for the invitation to share some stories from my career and adventures in sport as part of this very special event. I hosted the newest San webinar last night with John Phelan, the bike fit physio, who shared tips and tools to improve performance, fit and comfort on the bike. A very insightful session and I learned loads. Tonight, I'm really looking forward to hosting the Galway Triathlon Club's International Women's Day event. It literally is all go. In between all the talking over the past few days and indeed the past few weeks, I've been busy cramming for my trip to Lanzarote this Friday. At least that's what it's felt like, trying to rack up some mileage on the bike, in the pool and a little bit of running. I've actually really enjoyed the structure and routine of the training I've been doing and I'm definitely looking forward to getting away and to getting a nice block of training done in the sun. I'm hoping the wind gods are asleep for the two weeks I'm out in Lanzarote. This week as part of Women in Sport Week we are spotlighting a selection of the incredible Irish female athletes who have joined me for a chat on the podcast, deep diving into the archives of the show. Pop over to the Try Talking Sports socials to see who has been featured and be sure to listen to their episodes if you haven't already listened to them because you will be inspired and motivated to get moving. There are lots of events coming up over the coming weeks and months so be sure to check out the events calendar on the Try Talking Sport website and also keep an eye on the socials this week as we share some discounts for a variety of events and we'll also be holding some competitions for free race entries as part of our celebration of International Women's Day. Speaking of discounts, don't forget you can get 15% discount on all new Asan products online using the code TTS15. If you are looking for a treat for yourself or for someone else, be sure to check out their products on www.newasan.com. I have stocked up on my favourite product, the CBD Muscle Gel, for my trip to Lanzarote. I'm sure my legs will love me by the end of the trip. Now to this week's episode with Galway Triathlon Club member Trisha Strelayoff from Canada, who has spent the last 20 years in Ireland embracing a life in sport. A chartered physiotherapist working out of her practice, Maple Motion Chartered Physiotherapy in Galway, she has embraced many an adventure over the years through her love of cycling and triathlon. With her appetite for a challenge and for travel, she took up triathlon just before she turned 40 and has raced at five Ironman events and a multitude of middle distance races since then. She makes a conscious effort to rarely return to the same place for a race, always seeking new locations to explore and enjoy. She recently raced at Ironman 70.3 Oman, finishing in third place in her age group, stamping her ticket to race at the Ironman 70.3 World Championship in Finland in August of this year. Triathlon and indeed cycling is a huge part of her life. The friends she has amassed over the years through sport becoming her tribe and a very important ingredient in her success in sport and beyond. With her vibrant, energetic personality and can-do attitude, you cannot but be motivated to keep moving forward, chasing and achieving goals when in Trisha's company. This is a great episode of the podcast, slightly different to many of our other episodes, but the perfect guest choice to celebrate International Women's Day. Now go grab a cuppa and enjoy the show. Trisha Strelayoff, first of all, 
welcome to the show. Second of all, do you want to tell the listeners how many times it has taken me to get the pronunciation of your name correct? Because everybody who knows you in Galway just knows you as Trisha Maple Motion, physiotherapy, cyclist, triathlete, <laughs> and none of us can pronounce your surname. Well, actually, most people in their phones, when I see my name come up, it's either Trish Physio, Trish Canada, um, or yeah, Trish Maple Motion Physio. But no, I'm actually quite impressed, Joe. You caught that quite quickly. And it's actually exhilarating to actually hear it being pronounced correctly for probably the first time in four years, because it's been four years since I've been home to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been quite a while since I've called you down a finish line as well. Yeah. So I'm off the hook, but my fellow counterparts at Ironman, you know, they've been put under pressure. So now every time you go to race abroad, I'm going to have to tell them it's Trisha Strelayoff with an emphasis on the I. Excellent, Joe. Fabulous. So Trish, we're releasing this episode on International Women's Day. You are an international woman not of mystery, but of cycling, triathlon, physiotherapy, originally from Canada, but you are celebrating 20 years in Ireland. That is some milestone. Massive milestone. Yep. So I was born and bred in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Uh, I can't pronounce that. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. We'll give you that one. Okay. It's in the Midwest. The standing joke, if you're talking to another Canadian, is it's the, you can watch your dog run away for three days. It's so flat. So it's kind of halfway between Toronto and Vancouver, kind of above the Dakotas. Average temperature in the wintertime, minus 40, with peaking at minus 50, minus 55, but yet getting up to the mid-30s in the summertime. So we have four distinct seasons. bit like Ireland in one day. Well, yeah, we don't get the minus 50s, though. That's true, yeah. yeah. That's true. And we don't get the big, huge snowstorms. But yeah, that's probably one reason why I really like Ireland, is actually the weather. It's never too hot. It's never too cold. It's either a little bit wet or really wet. It's just that horizontal wind that really... Yeah. yeah. So what brought you to Ireland? So part of my clinical rotation in university was to spend doing clinical rotations. And you were encouraged to go outside of Saskatchewan. So I did a house exchange with a goofy newfie from Halifax, Nova Scotia, in the eastern part of Canada, where there's a huge Canadian-Irish population. So... She had a twin sister, obviously, another goofy noofy, where I lived. Her sister went and lived with my mom. So she flew at the same time I flew. I never actually met her, ever. So anyway, I stayed in Halifax, Nova Scotia for six weeks doing clinical rotation. Eight weeks, was it? Anyway, it doesn't matter. I did two clinical rotations. I can't remember now. One was in a private practice and one was in a hospital. And we lived the life of... Um, Eastern Canadian slash Irish people. And it was just an amazing atmosphere. We met some cool people. They were definitely a different breed to the people in Western Canada and fell in love with the Canadian Irish population. So I was working in the US for seven years and it was time that I needed to make a change in my life. I needed to get away. My parents had both passed away um, at 56 and 57. Oh yeah. My God, so young. Yeah. My mom in 1998, my dad in 2000. I just needed a bit of a change, get away from American healthcare. I was living in Raleigh, North Carolina, working at a um, private orthopedic clinic with 17 orthopedic surgeons. So it was a massive clinic and we were seeing loads of things. But ethically, I was struggling because it was a financial... Every, everything was about money. And I like just to touch people. I like to visit with people. And I was feeling like it was more like McDonald's and... Can I supersize that and extra fries with that and charge more and get them out the door quicker? And 
I had people working under me, so I had very little hands-on or one-on-one with patients. I had two or three people going at the same time. Anyway, I decided, let's make a change, go off to Canada initially. I was going to go back to Canada. I was going to go back to Eastern Canada, and I thought, Canada was in a recession. Why not go to the real Ireland? So I got myself a job in Limerick, Castle Troy Physiotherapy Clinic. Amazing physio. She was above, beyond what a normal physio would do, in my opinion. I just thought she was the best thing ever. Got involved with Young Monster Rugby. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was the physio that was with the team. And I don't know like what I expected, but it was just, yeah, the, the buzz and the crack, as you guys call it. Now it's my word too. But um, <laughs> yeah, just really, and you were traveling on the bus. So you would be an all-day affair. Off you'd go Sunday or yeah, Sunday morning and you'd be gone for the day and come home, no motorway at that stage. So it was flats of beer as we left the pitch and it was a sing-song all the way home on the bus. By the end of the season, I finally was able to sing one song. I think, I can't even remember what it was, but I I was able to start one song and then the whole bus would get going and I could even participate in the sing-song. So I think that kind of a culture tracked me. I said, oh, maybe I'll stay one more year. You know, one more year I'll stay involved. And one more year led to another year now, 20 years later. Yeah. But I decided because I thought, oh, I'm going to be going back to America. I still had a house there. I had two houses, actually. I was rented them out. I just said, look, you stay here. You stay there. I'm gone for a year. I'll come back and deal with this later. So three years later, I finally went back and moved my stuff, my personal effects back to Canada and rented them both with nothing in it. So I had televisions. I had <laughs> beds. They all just went to friends. I didn't care where they went. Stuff got shipped back to Canada. I had I never went back. Yeah. So anyway, then I decided I better go off to Australia before I decided to go back, that I decided I wasn't going to actually go back to America. So I got a a job in a place called Penrith Physiotherapy Clinic, a three-month locum. Off I went and it was just amazing. Came back, obviously my job in Limerick was gone, moved up to to Galway, but Galway's clicky. I'm really clicky. And I was like, so I was going home to Back to Limerick, I still actually have the key to the house that I stayed in. My friend Maraid, she's like my sister. Um, I would go back every weekend. And then I decided I got to kind of stay up in Galway a little bit more. But then they came calling again and they said, Trisha, do you want another subsidized trip down under? This time we'll buy you a round-the-world trip ticket. You can come to Australia, go home to Canada, come back to Ireland. So I was like, I could take that up. So I decided, gone off there for six months. And it was just an amazing place to work. It was a really uh, state-of-the-art place. We were physios for the Penrith Professional League Rugby League team. We were actually the center that physios in our practice dealt with the rowers, paddlers, the canoeists, the kayakers from the Olympic center because Penrith was where that kind of went with the um, Sydney Olympics. So it was just a gamut of experience. And the the lovely man that I was covering a locum for gave me the car, gave me the fuel card. I had a house up in the mountains. Like, why wouldn't I have stayed on? And then I was like, oh gosh, he came home and then I had to give the car back. And I had to kind of, (laughs) but he goes, oh, my my mom, she's gone to China. Here, you can have her car, you can have her house. So then I had another kind of six weeks there. And then they actually found me a place in the town until, um, yeah, I went off to New Zealand and cycled the South Island of New Zealand. So, oh, you know, you work three months, just take a month off, you work. And then I got involved with uh, Cycle Queensland while I was there. So I flew in, was the physio for the one-week cycling tour across Queensland. They, I was tenting, and I, they just set my tent up. I worked a couple hours of, as a physio every evening, and we cycled to the next little village. So I did that 
went from Gundawindi to the Gold Coast one year, and then from kind of above um, Cairns, I can't think of the name, but wherever Crikey's from. Anyway, come down to Mission Beach another year. So it's just a great way to see another part of the world. Took a weekend and went off to Tasmania. And then, anyway, that was my first six months. Then before I left there, they said, well, would you come back again? I said, well, I've got to go. My sister's having a baby. I said I promised I'd help out. Not that I'd be any good with children. But anyway, I said I'd come um, help her out in Canada. So that was because that was my round the world trip ticket. But yeah, I'll come back again. So then I went back to Canada, back to Ireland, back off to Australia again. So they got me two round the world trip tickets there and kind of, and then I settled back in Galway. And finally this time settled and I got involved with the Galway hurling team. So when they came looking for a subsidized trip down under, I was up to my tonsils and hurlers. <laughs> and um, that was me not stuck here, but like I was committed, committed. for three years. So yeah. yeah. And then I got my own little click and I started, I can't remember. I was always a cyclist. Well, I shouldn't say that before I left America, a guy by the name of Danny Thompson, who's actually contacted me and is coming here in three weeks. So ironic. Um, I haven't seen him in 20 years, but they got me involved in cycling. I got a stress fracture from running and they said, the doc said, Trish, you've got to do something other than run. Got on my bike and uh, fell in love with it. So when I came here, another really interesting side note, I had a bike in a box, I had to put it together. Like, I didn't know. I was very new to cycling, and I was like a bike, a box, pieces, parts. Guess who put my bike together? Jerry Murray, Connor Murray's dad. So he was one of the first people I met when I came here. Bike parts missing or something, and he put my bike together. And we've been friends ever, ever since. since. Yeah. Wow. We were, and there was a group of us, myself, another guy from Belgium, and a guy from Israel, plus all our Limerick crew. So we were kind of like a little international clique. And we ended up doing lots of international cycling at that stage. So he was there. This is 2003 when I first came. And uh, he was he wanted to see different parts. And he wanted us to come to Belgium. So we did things like the Frempe. I did the Tour of Flanders four times. We cycled the Tour of Ardennes. Like all these different parts of um, Belgium. And then another time we did Belgium to Prague. So nine days, six countries, 1,500 kilometers. And then another year we did Belgium up through the Normandic region of France. They had, a, they had a van following us, a fridge full of beers. And off we went and they just had, we had destinations. The wives met us on the road with sandwiches and food. And we did kind of 170K a day for nine days. It was absolutely brilliant. Anyway, that's a total sidetrack. But anyway, and then we did Israel. So Jerry Murray was with us for, he didn't do the two trips into Belgium, but he did the top to the bottom of Israel with us. Anyway. So that was how I started, was with cycling. And then when I came to Galway, I actually think it was Miriam Wall. I blame Miriam for everything. God bless her. But anyway, I think I was out cycling with her. And she's like, why don't you try this triathlon? And Dee Hassett. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And we were out, and they were like, try this triathlon. So I'm like, no, I don't. I haven't swam since I was, like, sub-teens. And running was something I always just kind of did, but never off the bike. So... Anyway, it was going to be my 40th birthday. And I said, look, I need to just try this triathlon thing before. I want to say I did a triathlon. Were, you, before were I was, you having an early midlife crisis? Yeah, well, I was thinking I was going down that route. And I'll never forget. And to this day, it was out in Loch Ray and nervous as bejesus. I go in to set my bike up and nobody, I, I wasn't involved with the tri club at all. I think Miriam and Karen Cassie took me swimming a few times. And I knew I could do the 750. I knew how to put the wetsuit on. But I got into transition. And who was beside me racking but Arthur Beats, of all people. 
And I think he actually was top five that day, but he actually helped me set my transition up. Like that's how humble people in the Galway Tri Club were. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is like a family here. Cause they were everywhere and they were like, oh, it's okay. And you do this and do that. And anyway, did my first triathlon and then watched the 70.3 in the pissing rain. In 2011. 2011, because then I turned 40 that September. So I had done my little, and then I got, I watched that and I thought, oh my gosh, and I have to do it next year. So 2012, I did a sprint triathlon in a pool up in um, Casabar. I did an Olympic, I think it was, Hell of the West. And then I did the 70.3 in Galway that year and came third in my age category. And I thought, well, this is it. This is my You've sport. Absolutely, I did. So Sweet that was that was the time when the seventy point three World Championships were in Vegas. Yes, but yes, but I didn't get, I didn't get, I didn't get a slot. Miriam Wall was going. That was it. Yeah, yeah, she got a slot, but I didn't get a slot. Thank goodness gracious, because that would be way overwhelming for me. The first year, just doing my first kind of boom, 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 like you wouldn't normally. And then, because it was out um, in N fifty nine, I have some patients loads of patients in Uttarard. They were on the road with a Go Trish sign. Like everybody thought I was from Uttarard because there was, they saw this Go Trish sign and like a whole family standing on the side of the road. Well, I started crying because I was so emotional thinking, because then they turned everything around and were there on the way back as well. And everybody, yeah, anyway, still it gets me a bit emotional talking about it because they're an amazing family. They actually, they're O'Hellerans and I call them my Irish mammy and daddy because they just play that kind of a role. So, yeah, anyway, off on a tangent. So, Trish, let's maybe bring it back to when you were young, because we've kind of gotten the sense of where you are now and, I suppose, up to when you kind of came to Galway and some of the bits that you did. But as a kid growing up, did you do sport? Yeah, I, I grew up on a farm. So we moved to the farm and my dad didn't want animals much. So if we wanted animals, we had to take care of them. We got up and... So we got horses. My sisters and us, we rode competitively, 4-H, and my sisters actually still ride quite competitively back home. Yes, and you sent me a podcast with your sister yes. in it where somebody pronounced her name properly. Yes, <laughs> and she also has the same issue because when she's riding, the poor announcer really just hammers their name. So she was adamant to speak to the announcers, so now they have her name right as well. <laughs> but yeah, so I got involved with basketball. Basketball was actually my sport growing up. And I, Saskatchewan or Saskatoon was hosting the Canadian Games in 19, this is going to give my age away, I think it, 1989. It was the under 19s. So anyway, it's, do the math. And I, they had, a, they had a team that they were preparing three years prior to it. So I got on this team back, I think, so I would have been 14, 15, got involved in this team that in three years time was going to be in Saskatoon playing in the Canadian Games. So that's what I think gave me my love to travel because this team traveled internationally. And that I was out in Moncton, um, New Brunswick, and I was in a lot of places in Ontario. Every summer, they took us touring and we played different teams from different parts of Canada. Um, so that was kind of, I was 15, 16, 17. Yeah, so that was three years. And then I 1989, I graduated high school, played in the Canadian Games, and then was on a university. I played university basketball, but at that stage, I was completely burnt out of basketball. The smell of a leather ball now oh, actually God. gives me, I can't even go watch basketball because what? the smell of a leather ball gives me anxiety to, <laughs> back then. Yeah. So that was it. Kabuchi. Haven't touched a ball. Haven't shot a basketball since 
1989. Yeah. And then I went to uni. Uh, first, actually, I got really injured. So this is how it got me into physio school. I got a really bad Achilles tendon injury. And I ended up going to the university. So there was physio in the university. He was in charge of the basketball team, the track and field team, the football team. And his name was Pete Friesen, the legend that he is. And I'm still in touch with him because it was his idea. This is the career for you. So initially I had to, I was playing basketball and I was in physical education. I was going to be a PE teacher. Then I realized, mm, <laughs> a very good PE teacher. I can't stand that age population on a, you know, like on a one to one basis. I had an amazing PE teacher and I thought I wanted to be a PE teacher. But then when I met Pete and he helped me rehab my Achilles tendon, I was fitter post-injury than I was pre-injury. And we just, him and his wife, Shelly, um, we all became really good friends. And I actually stayed with him for a while and I can't remember why I stayed with him, but he really mentored me. So when I graduated physio school, he left the university and he took a job with the Hartford Whalers, which is a professional ice hockey team, which North Carolina bought. So the Hartford Whalers moved down to Raleigh, North Carolina. So um, I see was, where all of this is going. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was working. I, I left when I finished graduated uni. I took a job in Oklahoma, Lawton, Oklahoma. Lasted a year there. No comment. Moved to Dallas, Texas for two years. So there was three tornadoes in Oklahoma when I was there for the year. So natural disasters happening all around me. I said, I'm getting out of here. Moved down to Dallas, Texas, got a job in a hospital system there, got involved in outpatient orthopedics then. And that's what gave me my love for private practice type work. And um, we had hundred days of over hundred, like a heat wave, people on the streets, fan drives, you know, donating fans to these elderly people that didn't have air conditioning, hundred degrees, in Celsius is around the 40s. So we had four, 100 days of over 40 degrees. So that, me being from Canada, I was running from an air-conditioned building to an air-conditioned So anyway, I got in touch with Pete. And I said, Pete, where are you at now? I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. I said, I need to get out of here. Um, I'm looking for a job. Can you find me a job? He's like, actually, the orthopedic surgeons that cover the Carolina Hurricanes hockey team is this Raleigh Orthopedic Clinic. Let me put in a good word. Boom, boom, boom. Things happen. My dad comes down, we load up a van, and off we go across the country, myself and my dad, driving through every, all these southern states. I grew up with country music. I'm a huge country music fan. Yes, I can two-step. I'm cringing for yeah, you now, absolutely. Unbelievable. So where do we have to, my dad and I have to stop? It's in Nashville, like the home of country music. Memphis, Dollywood, like we just had to kind of get our fix in the in um, Tennessee, made our way over to Raleigh, North Carolina, and that's where I stayed for another four years and until um, I took my plunge across the pond, and here I am. And here you are. So now, uh, businesswoman, Maple Motion Physio uh, in Galway, just at the near the Clada in Galway. Let's talk about some of your training and your racing here now. So... 2012, you did Ironman 70.3 Galway. So what's happened in between? So being kind of unwell as I was younger, I didn't have very good bone density. So stress fracture happened in Raleigh when I was always out running, had to take on the bike. But then, unfortunately, I was sitting in the back of a Jeep. We were going to an outdoor movie. So 
they would open up a park and sh show a movie on a wall in the museum in North Carolina. We were sitting at the traffic lights, ready to turn left, and a drunk driver came and hit us from behind. An open-top Jeep, eskies full of beer and wine, and we had candelabras and kind of lounges. We were all set up for the night. Bang, through the intersection. He was going 40 mile an hour, and um, he was flaming drunk. I jumped out of the Jeep because I couldn't breathe. I, my diaphragm actually went into spasm. Unbeknownst to myself, I had a T7 compression fracture and an L1 burst fracture. So the okay, vertebral so body... what does that mean to the layperson? Yeah, to both so the vertebral body is the big round bone in your spine. It burst, and what ended up happening, the piece that fell off was pushing against my spinal cord. So if you actually looked at the MRI scan, you would have said I was paraplegic or something because... But thankfully, I had, didn't have a spinal cord injury. The beauty of the body is it just wrapped around this big... Um, burst fracture in my back. So initially, because I was walking around trying to catch my breath, the two other people were strapped into the, into the ambulance, spinal, you know, collars and everything like that, and me walking around, and they're like, you're fine. They kept taking my O2 stats. I'm like, I can't, can't breathe, you know. And they sat me in the A&E for three hours in a wheelchair. Finally, I lied on the floor in the A&E. I said, I can't sit any longer. This guy pulls me off, puts me on a trolley, and then boom, 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 morphine in my arm. And things happened really quickly when they realized I, I could be a, a massive spinal cord injury. Thankfully, I worked with 17 orthopedic surgeons. The neurosurgeon on call was prepping me for surgery. They were going to go in and stabilize this fracture. And as I'm fasting for the surgery the next day, two of the spinal consultants from the actual clinic I worked at saw my chart and said, looked at it, looked at the images, and then came to me and said, Trish, hold on a second. Your neural signs are fine. This is fine. There's no, there's no urgency in fixing this fracture. Our suggestion is let's brace it and watch your neural signs. I was happy days. So I went and got a polypropylene brace. I looked like a ninja turtle, right from my neck to my ooh, ooh, strapped in, big, huge Velcro yokes. So that was me. Six weeks. My dad flew down from Canada because um, I wasn't allowed to leave until I had somebody with me, because I couldn't even put my knickers on. And that was us for a week. And then, unfortunately, my grandfather, his father, passed away that week. So there's my dad needing to go back, because my dad, my grandfather has just... And again, I was really close with my grandfather. So I was broken, couldn't fly home. I was unsafe to even sit in a car. So this is the beauty of a small world. My friend from high school's husband was playing for the Carolina Hurricanes, National Hockey League team. They were both down from Saskatchewan. They had they had actually came over from, I think they were in, I don't know, another part of the States. He got transferred to the Carolinas. They bought this beautiful house. Anyway, she was just, you come stay with me. A glass house and a hurricane expected. Oh, Jesus. I had this whole little upstairs bedroom, you know. Trish, you get everything. I'm going to lie out. And I was like, yeah, but there's a hurricane coming. This We're in a glass house. Three stories of glass windows. Beautiful, but not when a hurricane's coming. So I stayed up watching the eye of the storm and you could see it coming. You could see it coming. So I was in my polypropylene brace, ready to go just in case anything happened. I hear this massive crash down the stairs. I go, she comes out of the basement. She was like, you're out of her room. She goes, Trisha, where are you going? I said, I heard a crash. I heard a boom. I'm going into the toilet. Put the dog bed down. I'm going to go. It's the only place that has four walls, cement. I'm going into the toilet. Put the dog bed down. And I'm going to go sleep with the dog. Anyway, get up in the morning. And sure enough, a big, huge tree took out the entire porch of the house beside us. So got myself stable enough to fly home. Six weeks later, see my granny, see my dad. And rehab there. I was out of work for, they said, at least the bones of two months. 
but I went home to just do some rehab and went every day to the gym trying to get myself strong. In the meantime, then my dad started to get sick and he hadn't been to it. This is another go to a doctor. He hadn't been to the doctor in 15, 20 years. So I had to kind of find him a doctor. And between the jigs and reels, he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer and he was losing weight quickly. I had to go back to work. I was back to work. So that was in September when I had my accident. By November, I was back to work. And by Christmas time, I was back running again. And uh, they came down to visit me. But at that stage, my dad looked anorectic, like he yeah. was just a bone rack. Diagnosed with then bone mets in January and dead in February. So his anniversary is actually on Monday. Oh. Yeah, mad, 23 years dead. So um, all that sort of, between my mom passing 18 months before that, my accident, and then my dad passing, it was a tough 18 months. So my whole family were a little bit on the rails at that stage and we all needed a bit of help and a little bit of counseling. And one of the best decisions I made was just to get out of North Carolina and come to Ireland. And it's been the best therapy. And yeah. like my family even says, whatever you do, Trisha, don't come back to Canada. We haven't seen you happier. We haven't seen you thriving more. And I have to agree with them. It's one of the best decisions I made. Yeah, but you, you've kind of come in no more than myself and become embedded in the community as well. You know, um, Miriam and Deirdre and all that gang in the Tri Club were all amazing. Fiona Donovan, all those guys and girls in the Tri Club, Chris Burke and the rest of them. You know, yeah. we were all yeah. kind of the old community. The we're old all the community. old. I feel like we're the oldies, even though yeah, we're still young. Yeah. But um, I suppose one of the key things is is how well you integrated yourself into the community because you were working for other people here um, before you set up on your own but I suppose it just goes to show how important you know when you do come to a new place finding that click I suppose when you're an outsider so you might be in the thick of the click but you're in your own group in an environment that you're safe in that you enjoy the company of others very like-minded people so now like you're cycling triathlon you're your circle is huge, aside from your patient circle, but actually your own personal community that rallies around you is is 95% probably triathlon and cycling. Well, based. I call it my tribe. I yeah. like, like, you know, I'm in Galway, I have a tribe. And I was I sustained a bad accident in 2021, came off my bike, hit a sheep up in Shanafeshting and yeah. broke my elbow. And I just realized the tribe that I had, like people I could call upon, people rallying around me and um yeah you can you can take for granted a lot of things that seem obvious and then when you really need people and they're there I had porch fairies I called them like I'd yeah. be falling I'd sleeping on the couch and then I could hear a ruffle outside and there would be somebody dropping something in my porch breach knocked in and her pots of soup and her mum's brown bread like I because because I actually hurt my jaw as well I couldn't open my mouth god bless me and um I mean, really? we both can talk, so when you can't yeah. talk, I mean, that's the biggest absolutely. issue, never mind absolutely. the broken elbow. Absolutely. So what I could I could survive on breech knocked in soup and mum's, her mother's gorgeous brown bread. And I literally lived on that for the first two weeks because it was fabulous anyway. But those are the kind of people like porch fairies, people coming and collecting me, taking me places because... I don't sit around very well. And, and, um, and hard when you don't have family. Like it's absolutely. one thing to have family and say, oh, come here, will you pick me up yeah, and bring me somewhere? Yeah. But when you don't have family and you are relying on your friends who are your family, and I think that's a massive part of, it's um, a compliment to you in a way that you've been able to generate those people around you and have them as your tribe. Absolutely, absolutely. I, not, and I'm then I'm through sure, triathlon. I'm sure a compliment is the word. It's like-minded people. I surround myself with positive and like-minded people. Like negativity is is no good. And if you surround yourself with 
like-minded people doing things that you love. Like triathlon's now, I'm a physio. I'll always be a physio and I'll always be a Canadian. But triathlon's like my identity now. I, it keeps me balanced. I love work, but if only I had work, that's not healthy. And if only I had, I could never be a professional triathlete because I like the balance between the social life of training, getting up every morning, knowing you're going to meet somebody, or ugh, when you do have the odd session that you have to do on your own, you really appreciate it when the rest of the other people come. And um, and then kind of using triathlon as tourism. I've been able to travel the world and see some amazing places because I try not to do the same race twice. And with that takes people that want to see those different places as well. And having your travel buddies and your triathlon husbands and not having my own husband, I borrow other ones and they're fabulous. Like, and <laughs> you can return them when you're finished with them. And, uh, but been able to kind of go to different places and see different things. And for instance, recently going to Oman, uh, Rachel Farrell used to live there for three years, met her through cycling, who's also a triathlete, but she lived there. So I messaged her. I was like, look, I'm thinking about going to this place. This is where you used to live, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely amazing. Uh, go for it. I had friends from Cork actually going, who also had a friend out in Oman, which was the kind of linchpin and pushing me to go. And then just before I left, I messaged Rachel and said, do you have like a triathlete friend or something like that, that I could rely on for a swim or a cycle or just where to go, where not to go? And she said, well, friend this guy on Instagram. Anyway, turns out Haytham was an amazing host. And we just, he couldn't have done enough for myself and two or three other people that were also new to Oman and new to Muscat. And he, we were the Omani guest tribe and I would never have seen or experienced or eaten the food and went to the places and shared stories like I w did. The race itself was amazing. But the lead into the race and the experience of Oman and Muscat, I couldn't not but race well because I was on a high leading into the race. I had trouble sleeping the night before because I was so excited just to what was happening around me. So, um, yeah, to go to a race on your own in the Middle East, across the world, as a, female. as a female, into a country where I knew absolutely nothing about. <laughs> like, I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't that. And... I was just treated like a princess. So yeah, yeah highly recommend Oman. Highly re recommend that kind of Middle Eastern experience because I mean, I'm a vegetarian and I've never eaten pre-race so well. Like I was actually worried, like I'm very meticulous with my food in the few days before a race. And then, and then like we were eating every kind of culture and every kind of ethnicity of food and it all agreed with my tummy thank god and you have agreed to write a race report for me yes about yes Oman, so we won't spend too yeah. much time on it but you did qualify for the ironman 70.3 world championships in finland um for august of 2023 so that's very exciting now is that the biggest goal for this year or have you another race <laughs> in the pipeline you usually have something else in well the i'm i'm an energizer body i like to that's my energy system i don't have many fast twitch fibers so I kind of got involved with Ironman distance as kind of chuck, 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 away I go. And that's where I like to work. But my goal this year is to try and do a bit of shorter racing. M normally my A race is an Ironman and then I throw in a 70.3 just to, as part of the training. This year I want to see, can I focus on a little bit of the shorter distance? And then at the end of the year, do Ironman, um, Portugal, 
in oh, October. Oh, There's so, a big crew going over yeah. from Ireland. Oliver Harkin has a massive oh, crew oh, going over to Kashkaish in October, uh, and it is a fabulous race. Yes, no I actually to you. did it in 2019, that 70.3, but they've changed the course. They've reversed it. I love Kashkaish. So I said, if I'm going to go back and do a late season race, might as well go back there, experience a different course. Um, but in the same kind of a place. Yeah. So Trish, you're very disciplined. Like you're disciplined with your nutrition. Um, you're disciplined with your training. You're disciplined with your timing. You know, in terms of your being out in the morning early for the swims, getting to work, you're on your bike. You're More often than not, you're cycling in and out to work. How do you stay so disciplined and motivated? I think it's a bit of organisation. I think it's a bit, um, I'm a bit of a control freak too. Really? Just a bit, just a bit, just a bit. I like mornings. I train better in the mornings. Uh, so usually half five, quarter six, I'm ready to go. I get a session done before work, whether it's a swim or a bike. And then I work kind of eight to eight most days. So I take a kind of a break in the middle of my day because I can't just keep going through the day. 12 hour days is just too long. So I take a break in the middle of my day and I go for a run or go for another swim or I do some physio type stuff in the middle of my day outside of the clinic so that I can kind of come back. So it's like I have two half days and I discovered that probably the bones of 10 years ago and it really works for me because anything after four o'clock, don't get me to train. I, I, I'm good. I'm fine in the clinic. Don't get me to do anything technical, like write up reports or anything like that. But, um, by eight o'clock, that's me done, dusted, home food. Thankfully, I actually found out about this company called fuel, fuel your body. So because I need to fuel my body and I was batch cooking on a Sunday, eating the same bloody meal for four days, solid, un, not very exciting. Gabe Walsh actually was the one that told me about it. And so they, I order my meals. So I get 10 meals a week delivered to the clinic. So that's me, my lunch and my dinner during the week when I'm kind of trying to pull these 12 hour days and then my nutrition is taken care of. So I bring my own breakfast, I have my lunch, and then I come home, I have my dinner, and literally I'm trying to get into bed by 10 o'clock when I'm kind of finishing work at 8 o'clock. It's a short window to get into bed, try and settle the body and get some sleep because I know eight hours would be good for me, but most of the time it's about seven. And how do you relax? Like, what, or what do you do to relax outside of yeah. triathlon and cycling? Because, you know, uh, often people would say, oh, I saw Trisha out cycling today. You'd always see the blonde hair flying and she's <laughs> flying on the bike. And um, so, so what do you do, like, say, on a Sunday afternoon now when you're off after you've done your big spin or your run? What do you do to just chill out now that you don't have to do the batch cooking on a Sunday? Yeah, well, and, and that's exactly it. And that's the beauty of triathlon because through triathlon, I've met some amazing people. So it is like you don't have to necessarily be out on the bike although that is a huge social component to my sessions is go for a coffee go for a walk chill out and talk shite <laughs> um yeah i think it, it would be it's more just spending quality time with people that you enjoy yeah yeah catch up with family sometimes on the phone to tell you the truth Mon monday to friday i have very little downtime to relax so the weekends i kind of try to make sure and catch up with people i have a little godson too down in limerick and he kind of has been following all this triathlon craziness. So his goal this past summer, nine, was to cycle the Limerick Greenway with me. So his family was in France for the summer, the whole family training. Trish, are you coming down? We're going to cycle this Greenway, 35 kilometers. I was like, you're nine years old, not a bother to you. And so not only did he cycle the 35 kilometers, his seven-year-old brother cycled the 35 kilometers. 
Like we averaged 19 kilometers an hour. Like we weren't like... That's not take, slow. No. And then, of course, because the seven-year-old did it, well, we can't stop now. We had to cycle back towards um, Newcastle West. So we ended up doing 50 kilometers that day. Nine. Total inspiration. I was... My heart was full. I was just like, oh, if I can... Like, if this is what what I do can encourage other kids, women, people, anything to be able to do it. And, and, and on an aside having had injuries like I have, to be able to come, come back and know it's really helped me as a physio to be able to say, oh yeah, like I've had both hips broken. I broke my intertrochanteric fracture of my left hip um, in 1999. When I actually, this is my experience with Irish healthcare. I was a physio out on the pitch, covering a rugby match with Young Munster, a tackle went wrong. I was on the side of the pitch because I had just barely cleaned up people and got them back on their feet moved my, myself and my bags just off of the pitch in the end zone or whatever you want to call the end there and they intercepted the ball after they kicked it I barely was on the sideline tackle went wrong both of these rugby players flew into me I should have been back actually at John Lacey was one of the, the guys that hit me and he's now an RFU referee after that kind of incident they changed the rules so that the game can't start till the physio is actually back on so these two big blokes I'm underneath a tackle can't get up Mick Griffin, who'd be like a the doc at the time. Come on, Trish, come on, Trish. I'm like, no, doc, I can't get up. There's something fucking wrong here. And he pulled me up. I puked and he put me back down again. Then these lads from Tolman Rugby came out with a stretcher, hooched me up onto the stretcher. Oh, the pain of it. And they, yeah, so anyway, I ended up having to have a DHS put in my hip. So I had a complete What's fracture. What's a DHS? A dynamic hip screw. So a plate and a screw up through my... Um, femoral neck that was in 1999 yeah and so that yeah that was me physio trish in the wars like even the irish independent came to the hospital to interview me <laughs> like with the occupational about being in the wrong place at the wrong, at wrong time. time absolutely mick galway was the coach and him and john lisa came to the hospital to see me you know and there i was practicing my walk going up and down the <laughs> so how how does your body hold up now because you do have quite a rigorous training session like what did you cycle today you probably cycled for four hours today yeah yeah not quite three a little over three hours yeah okay but you probably did like a long run yesterday or a cycle or something so you're you've you've compounded training all the time on your body Mm. um how does your body react to the training now and and you've had quite a lot of injuries that we haven't even talked about yeah well what was funny is because i got a generic coach when i got into triathlon which gave me a generic program and the first year I broke down. I got a stress fracture in the other hip. The following year, no, that first year, I got stress fractures, two really bad ones in my foot. Ended up doing um, the swim and the bike because I couldn't get my money back in Ironman Sweden and put my boot on and watched the rest of the race. The following year, tried to come back again, different coach, stress fracture in my hip. So then I pulled the pin on trying to do Ironman racing for a year and then got involved with John Kniff. And he, he calls himself my damage limitator because I actually got him on board. I was like, I have no trouble doing the training, but I need somebody to tell me what not to do and how can we gradually build up my ability to try and do an Ironman one day. So my Ironman training plan was twenty maxing out at 25 kilometers a week. And I was able then to do Ironman, whatever one was, it, Barcelona in 2017. And it was, a, it was supposed to be a walk-run strategy, but like on the day I was like, the walk run I'm just gonna keep going I'll shuffle through the aid stations that was my goal 
run to the aid station, shuffle through it, get some food on board, and ended up still like doing like a four and a half hour marathon on the end of it. So then it was like, okay, you can handle a little bit more load. So then we've slowly built it up to last year and just recently for, oh man, I was comfortably up to 50k a week. But never, my long runs never really go beyond 20, 25 kilometers, even for Ironman training, because I just have to be careful with my bone density. I've had 27 fractures at this stage, so I do not want to be um, taking that chance. Although now I went from bones of a nine-year-old at 28 to reversing it with proper intervention, parathyroid hormone injections, and eventually weaning off all medications in the last four years, I think it is, where my bone density now is better than it was when I was 28. So the the nice, or the, the take-home message is that, yeah, you can have a bone density issue, which could be considered a silent disease and, and life-changing with 27 fractures, and still be able to go against all medical advice and um, end up doing five full Ironmans now to date. So, and probably at least, I think it's some, I was trying to go back and look at it, 15 or 20 half Ironmans at this stage. We see now a lot of, I suppose, I'm 45 this year. Woohoo, it's 45. I think I was about to say 46, but I think I'll be 45. I was born in 1978. What age am I? I think I'm 44. Yeah. Am I going to be 45? Five, five, am I 45? Eight? Coming this year. Oh, I'll be 45 this year, not 45 yeah. yet. No, no, no. no. Okay, this year. that's yeah. okay. Yeah. God, I had to think about that for a second. That was weird. I know, I have to do the math. Too. I know, yeah. <laughs> Um, but, you know, we're being told by lots of people that we should be starting to lift weights and for our bone density and for our metabolism and everything. And it's kind of psychologically hard to do it when you're doing three sports because you're doing swim cycle run. The last thing you want to do is throw on your gear and go do a strength and conditioning class. But it's so important for bone density, for minding our bodies, for getting the most out of them across spin, bike and run. We have to have that basic... Yeah, vital. I always refer to it as the carrot. So the swim, bike and run is the carrot if you don't do the prep work. And especially for me with my bone density, I do three sessions a week. Even in full Ironman training, I'll still get two sessions done. Right now I've got three and I try and do kind of like a, a yoga sequence every night for about 10 or 15 minutes. But I do think as we get older, that becomes even more important for load management, tendon, joint, ligamentous health. Like I see a lot of bone stress injuries and it's usually to do with too much, too off, too soon, too cool. You know me. I've had it myself. Absolutely. And then like that, simple tendinopathies and risk of those types of injuries become even more. As we get older, we just lose water, flexibility, all that sort of stuff. So we become much more susceptible for those kind, any kind of injury. So I do believe a strength and condition, and a specific, it has to be very kind of specific to what you need to do, bit of strength and conditioning is essential. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned there that you've done five full Ironman races and somewhere between 15 and 20 middle distance uh, races. If you were to go back and do a race, what one would you do? Austria. Austria. That, yeah. yeah Ironman Austria was absolutely scenery epic. Just like breathtaking. Like I keep, I go back and look at some of those pictures and I'm like, <gasps> breathtaking. Yeah, the water. Z, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The water was like swimming in somebody's aquarium. It was blue, crystal blue. You saw fishes. You, it was very warm. So we had a non-wetsuit swim, which for me being not a strong swimmer was a huge stress. But to swim a kilometer into the middle of the lake, 
with no wetsuit. That's like, that's my doty. I mean, no doty. And off I go into the middle of the lake, chasing this guy and budgie smugglers. I said, at least if I follow the guy with the budgie smugglers, he's going to be good feet. And we just flew through the crowd with me hanging up this. I just remember thinking, oh, there he is. Where's his budgie smugglers? And then we turn the corner, coming back in. And then you come into the canal. And it's like you're swimming into a football stadium. People lining the canal and roaring and screaming and then under the bridge. And yeah, but the only downside to that race, and I'd love to go back and do it when it wasn't so hot. It was like 26, 27 degrees in the water. Then out onto the course, like my Garmin red highest temperature, 38 degrees. Like What year did you do that race? This year. This this, year, like 20, last year, 2022. 2022. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like the European heat wave was out there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. That's hot. Yeah. And then you're getting, uh, I was like on the run course around two o'clock and it was 33 degrees. Melting. Not a cloud in sight. Puff of wind. Like if it wasn't for all the people in the residential houses with their hoses out. Like I just stood, I just stood in the hose. That's like head to toe, please. Head to toe. You, know? you seem to like the hot weather though, because you've got Barcelona, yeah. Oman, Austria. Yeah. Will we get you to Ireland this year? Will you well, do the 7.3 no, in Ireland? No, no. Although oh, I so might. be in Finland but the I week might. after. Oh, you'll be in Finland the week after. Yes, I'll be down there supporting. Good. And then hopefully my Omani buddies might... Come over. Yeah, so I said I had to do the heat prep. They're going to have to do the... (laughs) Sit in an aircon with somebody blowing water on them, you know? Um, Of all of your sporting success, uh, Trish, and we haven't spoken about like all the stuff you've done around cycling, all the trips you've organised, all the the stuff you've done with the cycling events like the Tour of Flanders and all the bits and pieces. But of everything that you've done, what are you most proud of? (sighs) Mm, good question. I think it's more of the consistency. I don't really like racing. I, I know you have, to, you have to have a goal. So I've set a goal to race. But I think showing up every day and the consistency of that and the fact that I've been able to overcome numerous amounts of injuries and illnesses that I think it's to be able, and especially to share it with patients, like People come in with back pain. Oh, yeah, I have two fractures. It's okay. Different kind of thing that you're having now, but we know how to rehab this thing. Hip pain, foot pain, Achilles tendinopathies, like you name it. I pretty much might have had it. So I think it gives them a a reassurance that you A, know what you're talking about, B, can be empathetic with it, and then C, be able to kind of say, you can come off the other side. You've got hope. There's a way to deal with some of these things. And I think as catastrophic as some injuries can be, it's what you've learned from it, what you've built on it, and what you've been able to um, come out the other side and show for it, you know, and to be able to bring people along on that journey and know that it is a journey. It's not just the race. Like to me, the race is great, but it's the journey to get there that's just addictive. Like it's just what gets me up in the morning every day. It just that feeling of achievement when you've got it finished, whether you finished first or 21st, it, it's more of showing up at the start line, getting to the start line. I've always said a few mishaps, not getting to them. So to be able to get there, tick the box, pick a goal every time that is a personal goal. Like I've really been trying to improve my running. So to be able to get off the bike and try and run well, I know I can cycle because I love cycling. If I was given a choice, I'd cycle more, but I've actually enjoyed my cycling more when I'm not doing it all the time. 
Yeah, and it's funny because uh, just before you called over, so we're recording this in the kitchen on Sunday, the 26th of February. Um, I did a, my first long spin since a long time now today. So three hours out on the gravel bike on an adventure. But this is my second full week of triathlon training since 2017. Now, I know I've done lots of bike training throughout COVID and everything. But before you came over, I have a calendar and I had literally just written out the sessions I was going to do, like either swim and bike or bike and run or strength and conditioning or bike two hours, bike three hours, whatever. So across the whole lot of this week, I've done something that I set myself out to do with the exception of my run and my strength and conditioning. And the sense of achievement I got from just highlighting everything now obviously there's a little gap there but I'm training for Lanzarote uh to go out on a training camp with Oliver Harkin as we know and the most important piece of training I did was actually um eating a cinnamon bun on my cycle today but (laughs) definitely every day the goal of knowing that okay I need to get out of my bike today or I need to go running and and then actually just coming home and going oh I actually nailed it yeah um that, that far away yeah, yeah. It's, it's just it's really good but I think you know what I found as well is that I've kind of gone back to when we were training for a race around Ireland where I'm now kind of focused definitely more focused on my training and that I've kind of penciled in the time no more than you would do where you're putting your day into two blocks of a morning and an afternoon I'm definitely doing something similar where it's it's kind of non-negotiable so if I have a meeting with someone, that's non-negotiable. I have to go to that meeting. So now this meeting is with my bike or exactly. with whatever piece of exercise I deem to be necessary. And until we come home from Lanzarote, the biking probably and, and the swimming is probably more important because I know I can go out and run a 5K easy yeah, and, enough. And I'm a stickler to routine. So I like to have, okay, and this day I'm doing this and this is, you know, and not have to think about it. But yet the sense of achievement when it's yeah. been all completed. And another thing that, I got out of COVID was these Trathlon Ireland Zoom. I didn't know how to use Zoom. So Gary Cousin started these Zoom classes on a Tuesday in COVID that he's continued with to this day. And it's like my Zoom turbo community. And through it, I've been able, even though on Zoom, develop these friendships that I went down to try a thigh. No, I don't put my camera on because it's six o'clock in the morning. And I do not want to be seen at six o'clock in the morning. Sweat bubbles and snot hanging off my nose. These guys didn't know what I looked like. I said, it's okay. I'll have a Galway try top on. And then when they saw me and then we met afterwards, it was like this family that I kind of had but had never really met. And now subsequently through that community, I've met more because... It was a connection to my Zoom class that I found this guy named Colin that I was able to go to Venice with. And he was a little training buddy out there and we got on great. And now another addition to my little triathlon family. So it's it's amazing. It's like our uh, it's like the Zwift spin on a on a Monday night. And it's just that whole connection piece of I think of Elaine and Karen and Oliver Harkin and and a few others that have been on that spin since September 2020. Now you go to a race and you've just got that extra little bit of a connection with somebody. I hadn't met half these people that I race with for Team RWB, but you go to a race and suddenly it's like, oh my God, I Zwift with you. Oh my God, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what it's it's amazing. Um, when you look at the season ahead, Trish, other than racing in Finland and having lots of fun and enjoying lots more time on your bike, and you're going to Mallorca uh, for a little cycling holiday with your crew, what are you most looking forward to for the season ahead? I think um, seeing what a season of shorter distance race prep, not only 70.3 distance because it's a little bit closer to time. But I actually I might actually throw in a sprint in an Olympic. Oh, no God, way. I know, I know. It's puke fest. It's total, like, 
a heart rate zone and a training zone I absolutely hate. But just to see if I go and blast myself a few times, how is that going to affect my training? Because I've come back from Oman having done a block of training in Lanzarote before at Christmas and then a four-week block on my turbo torture in January, which I would never do at this time of the year. And then to kind of come back, recover from Oman and like, woo, let's bring on the rest of the season. And now I'm kind of having to hold back because it's going to be a long one if um, I plan to go all the way to the end of October. But I think the thing I'm looking most forward to is setting myself a few new challenges, trying to find a few fast twitch muscle fibers in my body that even back in my, my basketball days didn't exist. So I don't know where I hope to find them, but trying to find a few new gears running and I'm in the middle of a swim block, God forbid. I am trying to swim faster and God bless Brendan. He really thinks I might be able to swim faster. And there's a few glimmers of hope and sunshine. But again, going back to these triathlon club swim sessions, like everybody's encouraging me. They know I'm ready to vomit, but I am still going to try and swim faster. Just try and go fast, Trisha. Just try and go fast. I'm like, that's like trying to say, just try and run fast. I don't actually know how to do that. So anyway... The swim block is a nice and big challenge. Try a few um, shorter distance stuff that I know I'm not going to enjoy, but I know will good, be good for me. And then to see what happens, if can I sustain some level of enthusiasm to take me into a full distance race in October and then just crash after <laughs> You'll deserve a break no, after absolutely. that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, Trisha Strelayoff, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. We've been on my radar for a long time to get you on the show. So this is very appropriate to release it on International Women's Day. And uh, the very best of luck with all of your racing. I won't go out on a bike spin with you because you'll just drop me before I even leave the house. Zone two, man, zone two. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. If you would like to hear more great episodes of the podcast, be sure to check them out on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow all of our activities and podcasts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. If you have any feedback or guest suggestions, then please pop me an email on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. I really would love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening. Stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day. Oh